No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but men love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what he has done has been done through God. Thanks, Carl. Well, uh, let me pray and then we'll get into thinking about why we should care who Jesus is. Let's pray. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, for Jesus. Lord, we thank you for your words about Jesus, which you caused to be written down in the Bible. And Lord, as we think about some of those this morning, we ask that you'd open our hearts, uh, that you'd speak to us, uh, that your Holy Spirit would work in our hearts so that we might know Christ uh, and that we might trust in him. We ask it for his name's sake. Amen. Uh, well, if you've been following the news this week, uh, you might have known what an extraordinary week it's been in politics. Uh, it was uh, an extraordinary day on Monday. On Monday, the Parliament was recalled using extraordinary powers, powers that haven't been used or have hardly been used in the history of Australian democracy. Uh, and on Tuesday, the Prime Minister announced that we would go to an extraordinary election. A double dissolution election, an election, a kind of election that hasn't been uh, called in about 30 years. And at the centre of these extraordinary events is this weird government bill about some uh, organisation uh, called the ABCC, the Australian Building and Construction Commission. And if you have no idea what the ABCC does or did when it used to exist, it turns out that you're in good company. Uh, on Tuesday, the news radio played a segment where they'd gone out into the street and they'd interviewed people to see who knew what the ABCC was. And they, you know, they'd, go, they'd go up to people and say, uh, have you heard of the ABCC? Yes, I've heard of it. Do you know what it is? No, I have no idea. <laughs> uh, do you know what it stands for? No, I have no idea either. What was striking was that the government is about to go to a double dissolution election over an issue that nobody actually knows really that much about. And most of the people that the reporters talked to really didn't seem to care that much. It was a frightening reminder of the detachment between politicians and the electorate. And whether that reflects poorly on the government uh, and politics or, or just the people of society, I'll let you decide... But it does seem that we live in an age where people have stopped listening to politicians for whatever reason and we live in an age where people don't care what they have to say. 
They're running our country and people don't care. They've stopped listening. Well, like that news radio reporter, we've been doing our own survey at the branch over the last couple of months, asking people who they think Jesus is. And we've had some really uh, useful and interesting answers to that question. Some people didn't think that he existed. uh, And others thought that he, he did exist, but that he was just an ordinary man. And we've looked at those ideas over the last couple of Sundays, and if you want to uh, catch up with any of those talks, you can do that on the website. But one of the other significant responses that we received was that people didn't know who Jesus is and didn't care. Or, Or they did know who he was and they still didn't care. And that response, I think, raises some really significant questions. Why should any of us care about a man who lived 2,000 years ago? How does what happened then affect any of us today? How is that in any way meaningful? Why do any of us here bother to turn up week in, week out, to give up hours on Sunday or to give our time and our money because of a guy who lived 2,000 years ago? Why would will take the trouble to go to India, to set up a training college, not just to teach uh, women to sew, but to teach them about this guy who lived 2,000 years ago. And why would people around the world today risk being hated by family and cast out of their communities to follow the teaching of a man who none of us has ever met? Those are really important questions for us to answer. If there's no reason to care who Jesus is, then what we're doing here today is a waste of time. And it's not just a waste of time, it's actually positively damaging. It damages, it's damaging people's minds and lives. Why should any of us care who Jesus is? The answer to that is a really uh, important answer. Whether you consider yourself a Christian or whether you don't consider yourself a Christian, the answer to that is crucial. So I want to look at some reasons this morning, at five reasons for why we should care who Jesus is. Before we get into those five, I should say, I think there's lots of other reasons as well. And I think some of the things we've looked at over the last couple of weeks uh, have been important too. The fact that Jesus existed in history, that he was more than just a good man, are also reasons why we should care who he is. But, But five reasons this morning from this passage that we just read. And the first reason is that we should care who Jesus is because God sent Jesus into the world to save it. Jesus says in verse 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. It's probably the most famous uh, verse from the Bible, and for good reason. Uh, If you go to a sporting match or if you see a sporting match on TV, uh, people used to, I don't know if they still do actually, hold up the card that says John 3.16. This verse is crucial because it says uh, that we should care about Jesus because God sent him. Because God sent him not to condemn the world, but to save the world. Many people, I think, have this idea of God as the great uh, party pooper, you know, kind of the great uh, ogre in the sky. He's the angry God who yells and commands and hates and who is bitter But here Jesus says that God sent 
uh, him into the world, not to condemn the world, but to offer people the chance to be saved from condemnation. Imagine that you are uh, accused of a crime and you were awaiting your trial and the worst thing was that you were actually guilty and the police and the prosecution had the evidence that they needed, Uh, they had the witnesses, they had the fingerprints, they had the DNA evidence. There's no way that you're going to get off. There's no foreseeable way that you can kind of avoid being convicted. And then someone comes to you and they, and they say, look, I know this guy. I know people in positions of power. And even if you're convicted, they can get you off. They can pardon you. They can give you a full pardon. What would you say? Would you say, you know what? It's okay. I'll try my chances in the court, you know. I'm a pretty winning sort of guy, great smile, great arguer, it'll be fine. Would you, would you say, I'll, I'll just take, take my chances? Or would you say, yes, I'll take that offer? Or, or you might even say, I'm not sure that I believe you, but I'm willing to investigate it because my life is in the balance. My future is in the balance. The Bible says that all of us stand condemned by God because God has made this incredible world for us to live in, to know Him, and we live our lives neither glorifying Him nor thanking Him for all this wonderful stuff. But Jesus says that He can bring us pardon. Why should we care who Jesus is? Because He can pardon us before God, because God sent Him into the world not to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. But Jesus also says, secondly, that we should care who he is because through him we can receive eternal life. John 3.16 again. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Our world is marred by death. We begin to die the moment that we begin to live. Death is all around us and the longer that we live, the more people that we have to bury But we long for more than that, don't we? We long for forever, for eternity. We long for the promise of eternal youth. Millions of people around the world spend billions of dollars trying to live longer and be younger. A few years ago, a friend of mine was diagnosed with terminal cancer and they told her that she had about three years to live. And I remember thinking how sad it would be to know that you only had three years to live. Until I realised actually that her predicament was not so dissimilar from my own. That is, she could die within three years, but actually so could I. The crude death rate for Australia suggests that out of all the people sitting here this morning, in one year between one and two of us will be dead. I find that extremely confronting. But pretending as though that's not true does nobody any good. But into that dark reality, Jesus here speaks. 
He speaks words of eternal life. He offers an end to death. And he demonstrated that that wasn't an empty promise by being raised from the dead himself. Now, you might think that Jesus' claim uh, to, to give eternal life is an empty promise. But you think that given the reality of death and the extraordinary nature of the claim, that it's worth investigating. Why should we care who Jesus is? Because he offers us pardon rather than condemnation and because he offers us eternal life in a world filled with death. Third, we should care who Jesus is because Jesus is the deepest expression of God's love. For God so loved the world, how is that shown? He gave his one and only Son. Jesus says that God loved uh, the world. Uh, When he says that, he doesn't mean that God loved us because we are lovable. Uh, As though he looked at us uh, and he went, wow, that guy Carl, what a guy. Uh, He is the most lovable guy you've ever met. Uh, Because what hope would any of the rest of you have? if, if that was the case. No, Jesus doesn't mean that he looks at us and go. God looks at us and says, wow, they are so lovable. He means that God loves us in spite of the fact that we're unlovable. In John's Gospel, the world, you see, has negative connotations. The world is not just the world, the world that we live in. The world is the world in rebellion against God, its maker. And into that world, God the Father sends God the Son to die for us. He did it even though we were his enemies. We typically do things for people that we love. Uh, We give gifts to our friends or family. Uh, Some people give extraordinary gifts to the people that they love. We honour a parent who dies saving the life of their child. We honour that and we rightly honour that. We, this weekend in fact, are honouring the lives of... Uh, the people who gave their lives to defend our country. And we hear stories of people who threw themselves on on grenades to save the lives of friends. We we admire people who give uh, an organ to save the life of somebody else, sometimes somebody they may not even know. We rightly honour those people, don't we? But we often give gifts to the people that we love. We rarely give gifts to the people who are our sworn enemies, the people that we don't love. If our family is torn apart by bitterness and anger and and hurt, we tend not to send birthday presents and we tend not to meet up at Christmas. When a businessman fleeces customers out of their money, the customers don't then, the victims don't then send a, you know, a get well soon card. When, when, when Christopher Scase was uh, on the other side of the world in Majorca, having robbed people in this country, his victims weren't sending him a, a card to say, I hope you get better sometime soon. And here's a birthday present, and here's something for Christmas. We don't do that, do we? But what God has done in Jesus is precisely that. He's loved us when we were his enemies. God sent Jesus to give his life to save enemies, not friends. It would be like Winston Churchill dying to save Hitler. 
Except that if Winston Churchill died to save Hitler, Hitler would still be Hitler. He'd still be an evil man. The difference is that when Jesus dies for us, it doesn't leave us unchanged. He makes us new people. He makes us different. It would be like Winston Churchill dying, giving his life to wipe out all the memory and all the pain that Hitler had ever brought. And with the ironclad guarantee that Hitler would never be the same man again. That he would be a new man, changed forever. Never to relapse, transformed into a man of love and compassion and kindness. That's what God promises, that's what God does in Jesus. Why should we care who Jesus is? Because he offers us pardon rather than condemnation. Because he offers us eternal life, not death. Because he is the deepest expression of God's love. He loved us while we were his enemies. But we should also care who Jesus is because it's by knowing him and entrusting ourselves to him that we are not condemned. Jesus says something a bit odd in verse 14. He says, Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. Now he's referring to an event recorded in the Old Testament and, and the people that Jesus was speaking to in that day would, would kind of remember it. They'd go, oh yes, I know what he's talking about. And they'd bring in all the other context from that story and they'd understand it. What was happening in the part of the Bible that Jesus is referring to, God had been caring for the people, providing for them. He'd rescued them from Egypt. He was providing them food and, uh, and, and uh, sustenance in the desert. But the people had turned against God. And the result of that was that God had uh, sent poisonous snakes among the people so that they would realize that they were biting the hand that fed them. And when the people cried out to God, he provided a way for them to be healed. God commanded Moses to set up on a pole a bronze snake. And all the people had to do if they were bitten by these poisonous snakes was to look at that snake and that they would be healed. It wasn't that the snake on the pole was miraculous or anything like that. It was just a bronze snake sitting on a pole. But in looking at that snake, they, they, God was was pushing them to realise that what they really needed to do was to look to the God who provided that means of rescue. They needed to look to the way that God, uh, the way of rescue that God had provided. And Jesus says in the same way that in the Old Testament, in those days, uh, that the snake was lifted up for the people to look at and to be saved, he says in the same way he is going to be lifted up for people to look to him. Uh, and be saved as well. In John's Gospel, this language lifted up is the language that Jesus uses to refer to him being lifted up on the cross. Everyone who looks at Jesus lifted up on the cross and trusts in him will not be condemned because Jesus stands condemned in their place. Or Jesus says in other language, uh, in a few verses later, whoever believes in him may have eternal life uh, or in verse 16, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. The word believe today, unfortunately, means uh, something to us that it doesn't quite mean here in the Bible. When we hear the word believe, we think it means something like, 
uh, believe that it's true. So it's a, it's a fact, we believe that it's true. But the, the, the language which the New Testament was, was written in, in, in that language, the word means something more like trust. Whoever trusts in Jesus, whoever, whoever entrusts themselves to Jesus, that is, Jesus is calling people to do more than just believe in a certain truth. He's calling them to do more than just believe that he existed or to believe that what he said is true. He's calling them to something more, to entrust themselves to him. So, for instance, you might go to a doctor because you're sick and the doctor prescribes you antibiotics and the doctor says, if you take these drugs, you'll be better within a week. And you might think, yes, I believe that that's true. And then you go home and you, just, and you, and you put the antibiotics on the cupboard and you never take them. It's not going to do any good, is it? You, you have to do more than just believe the fact that it's true. You actually need to entrust yourself to, to what the doctor has said and to, to, to do what he said. To take the medicine. And in the same way, Jesus is calling us to recognize the truth and to believe it, to trust it, to trust that he is God's son sent into the world to save us. He's calling us to say to God, God, I believe that you sent Jesus. I believe he's your son. I believe you sent him to save me. I trust him and I trust that because of his death, I am loved by, your, by you as, a, as your child. I trust that I'm no longer your enemy, but but a friend. Why should we care who Jesus is? Because he offers us pardon rather than condemnation. Because he offers us eternal life, not death. Because he is the deepest expression of God's love. Because it's only by knowing him and entrusting ourselves to him that we escape condemnation. Uh, And finally, and somewhat soberly, We should care who Jesus is because if we don't entrust ourselves to Jesus, we stand condemned already. Jesus says in verse 18, Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. In many ways, this is the dark side of John 3.16. Everyone holds up the card which says John 3.16, but nobody holds up the card which says John 3.18. And there's no escaping, I think, that this is a terribly distressing idea. Jesus is talking about uh, hell. And he's saying that the person who rejects him, who doesn't care who he is, will be condemned by that on the last day when Jesus Uh, comes to judge the living and the dead. Of course that's true. If you reject the, uh, if you reject as unimportant or trivial or fake the person who is going to judge the world, what would be the consequence of that, do you think? In fact, Jesus says that person is already condemned. That is, not they don't have a chance to repent and turn to Jesus, but we already know what the outcome of their rejection will be. If they continue to re- reject Christ, we know that they're condemned. We don't need to wait for the last day to know that. But notice why Jesus says uh, that people reject him. He says in verse 19, This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, 
But men loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that may be plainly seen that what he has done has been done through God. Jesus says people love the darkness. Jesus come into the world. He's like a man walking into a dark room with a lamp and everyone runs to hide in the dark corner. God wants us to know how to live. God has sent Jesus to show us. But people love their own way of life too much. They love evil more than good. Naturally, we love greed more than generosity, anger more than patience, indifference more than love, hostility more than forbearance, pride more than humility, bitterness more than forgiveness, sex more than marriage. Loving anything rather than loving God. Elsewhere, Jesus says that the cost of coming to him is giving up your whole life because coming to Jesus means relinquishing the things that we love the most dearly. It means acknowledging that the very things that we love the most are the very things that God often hates. And the very things that we love the least are the very good things that God has given for us to love with our whole being, not least God himself. People love darkness, but people are also afraid of the light. They're afraid of the light, Jesus says, because coming into the light means being exposed. Generally speaking, we don't want people to know what we get up to. We hide that away. Uh, People wipe their internet history because they don't want people to know that they've been looking at porn. When a criminal commits a crime... They hide the evidence, they throw it away. People commit crimes in the darkness because they don't want it to be seen. People hide sin, but coming to Jesus means owning up to what we've done, it means coming into the light. It means admitting to what we've done And not just what we've done, but also to who we are. It means owning up to the fact that we're mucked up and distorted and we have wrong desires and wrong loves and wrong motivations, wrong feelings. It means acknowledging that who we find ourselves to be is not who we ought to be. The English poet Alfred Lord Tennyson wrote, Ah, for a man to arise in me, that the man I am may no longer be. He realised that who he was was not who he ought to be. And if we come to Jesus, that's what we need to do. We need to realise that. Jesus says that if we stand condemned, it's not because of God's lack of effort, or God's lack of wanting, or God's lack of love. If we stand condemned, it's not because of God's fault, it's because of ours. It's because we've refused to receive the mercy of God and the love of God in Jesus. There's nothing stopping you or I from receiving the mercy of God except our own pride and our own love of sin. 
God has gone to great lengths to save people. He sent his only son into the world, not to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Well, in Yann Martel's book, The Life of Pi, uh, you might have read the book or seen the movie. Uh, in the book, the boy Pi discovers Jesus through the ministry of a Catholic priest, Father Martin. But the Jesus that Pi finds frustrates him. And he says to Father Martin, this son is a God who spent most of his time telling stories, talking. This son is a God who walked, a pedestrian God, with a stride like any human stride. The sandal reaching just above the rocks along the way. And when he splurged on transportation, it was a regular donkey. This son is a God who died in three hours with moans, gasps and laments. What kind of God is that? What is there to inspire in this son? Love, said Father Martin. Pi continues, I couldn't get him out of my head. Still can't. I spent three solid days thinking about him. The more he bothered me, the less I could forget him. And the more I learned about him, the less I wanted to leave him. I'm going to pray now, and uh, you might want to pray along the same prayer in your own heart. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I care who Jesus is. I care because he is your son whom you sent to offer me pardon in the place of condemnation. I care because he offers me eternal life, not eternal death. I care because he is the deepest expression of your love. You loved me when I was your enemy. I care because it's only by entrusting myself to Jesus that I can escape your just condemnation. I entrust myself to Jesus. I trust him. I trust that because of his death on a cross, I am loved by you as your child. I trust that I'm no longer your enemy, but your friend. I trust that the way that he says to live is the best way to live. Please help me to live that way. And please help me to keep trusting Jesus and to keep following him. I ask it for Jesus' sake. Amen.